You're listening to a sermon from St. John's Anglican in Cranbourne. To find out more about us, head to cranbourneanglican.org.au. Well, we've been looking at the Psalms over the last couple of weeks. And I don't know about you, but Psalms are some of the fa- my favorite passages in the Bible. They're so full of encouragement, so full, they're easy to understand. And so before we jump into the text this morning, I have a question for you. I want you to turn to the person next to you or a person near you and ask them over 30 seconds, what is your favorite psalm? You might not have one, but just turn to the person next to you. What is your favorite psalm? All right, everyone, why don't we bring it back? Now, I wonder if anyone would like to be courageous and share with us what your favorite psalm is. Who, who wants to just shout it out? Darren. Psalm 100 is a great psalm. 23, it's a good one. 84, 91. This is like a bidding system. Samia. 26. 23. Who else has their favourite psalm as 20, Psalm 23? It's going to be read at, at uh, the funeral. There you go. Now, uh, that makes a lot of sense to me. Making a note. All right. Psalm 23 makes sense as a favourite for a lot of Christians. In fact, I would say it's probably the most fav- famous psalm that we have. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. There's so many lines. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil for God is with me. It's beautiful. It's encouraging. It speaks to God's care and his kindness for us. But to be honest with you, often when I read Psalm 23, that doesn't feel like my experience all the time. It's one of the reasons why Psalm 22 is actually my favorite psalm. Psalm 22 is my favorite psalm. So, and it's always struck me that these psalms are back to back when you read the psalm. You see, in Psalm 23, it's, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And in Psalm 22, it's, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I cry out to you, and you're not there. There is a big gap between those two psalms. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. In fact, I would suggest that the entire Christian life is lived between Psalm 22 and Psalm 23. There are going to be moments where you feel like the Lord is your shepherd, where you experience his kindness and his care for you in intimate and detailed ways. And there are going to be these times in your life where it feels like God is distant, when you cry out to him and he is not there. And... 
The reality of Psalm 22 is that it can feel uncomfortable for us to read because we know the gospel, we know what Jesus has done for us, we know that God cares for us and so we read the words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it feels uncomfortable on our lips and yet it's a totally, totally legitimate psalm and a thing to pray. I wonder whether one of the reasons we struggle with psalms like this is that we don't particularly sing songs like this in church anymore. I, I, I don't know how you would feel if Rashan got up one, one, uh, one morning and was like, we're going to sing this new song. It starts out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What your reaction would be would probably be a bit shocked. You probably wouldn't want to sing that strongly. You definitely wouldn't sing as strongly as in Christ alone. You see, what's happened in most of our churches is that the majority of our songs are now encouraging or hope-filled. So CCLI, which is an organization that looks after copyright of church music, uh, released a survey basically uh, detailing what each song is about. And in pretty much any given year, 5% of the top 100 songs used by churches year by year include some level of of lament, some level of distress. In the Psalms, it's 40%. 40%, almost half the Psalms, detail sadness or distress or sorrow crying out to God. And these Psalms were sung by Israel. These were the songs of Israel. This wasn't like moody songs sung by teenagers in their rooms. This was the songs of a nation because they know that we experience sadness and sorrow and need to do something with it. The lack of lament hurts us. Now, I have nothing against happy songs. I, I chose the music this morning. I love In Christ Alone. I'm all for it. I'm for Psalm 103 and Psalm 23. I love it. It's just that sometimes those are not the psalms that you need or the songs that you need. When you had a miscarriage... When your marriage is on the rocks, when you're experiencing chronic illness, when you're experiencing sins that are coming after you like a wolf, you don't need Psalm 103. You need Psalm 23. My God, my God, where are you? I need you right now. Psalm 23, Psalm 22, I think, is one of the most Christian and most faith-filled psalms that we have because did you notice the first two words. He says this, my God, my God, the God who is mine, the God who I know, the God who I'm calling out to, the God who has loved me, the God who has cared for me, the God whose acts I know, that's the God I'm calling out to. This is not the cry of an angry atheist, like just scrunching up his fist and shaking him at the heavens. This is the cry of a Christian clinging on to God saying, I know who you are. I need you to be who you are. Will you be who you are? It's not about doubting. It's about clinging. And in fact, the reason why this is so faith-filled is that this psalm is essentially about Jesus. Now, if you know your Bibles fairly well, you know that as read out this morning wonderfully by Anne, that Jesus quotes this psalm in Matthew 27. He says, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, meaning, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
But the similarities don't end there. You see, he says this in, in 46. But then in, so in Psalm 22, verse 7, it says, All who see me mock at me. They make mouths at me. They shake their heads. And then in Matthew 27, verse 39, it says, Those who passed by derided him, shaking their heads. Well, that's, that's a bit weird. Then in Psalm 22, verse 8, David's enemies who are mocking him say, Commit your course to the Lord. Let him deliver. Let him rescue the one in whom he delights. It's a fairly specific kind of mocking, a fairly specific kind of insult. And what do the people who mock Jesus say? He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he wants to. For he said, I am God's son. When verse 16, this is a little bit of a tricky one because the Hebrew is a bit uncertain, but most translations have it translated. The end of it, they pierced my hands and my feet just like Jesus' hands and feet were pierced. And then in verse 18 in Psalm 22, they divide my garments among themselves. They cast lots for my clothing just like Jesus. See, David's describing his situation and yet it reaches ahead prophetically to the life of Jesus. And let me humbly suggest that if Jesus can say these words, you can say these words. That if Jesus can lament, you can lament. That if Jesus can take his sorrow and his sadness to God, you can take your sorrow and sadness to God. I've heard before, when, whenever I've brought up that this is my favorite psalm, some people say, I could never pray a psalm like this. I could never say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I could never be, I, I, I just don't feel it's right. And that's okay if you're in that boat. But let me humbly suggest two things. One, if there is an aspect of our emotional lives that is off limits to God, That's a sign of immaturity, not maturity. God made all of you to be brought to Him. There's nothing off limits for Him because He made you, He knows you, He loves you. And so when we are happy, we can bring that to the Lord. When we're sad, we can bring that to the Lord. When we are anxious, we can bring that to the Lord. When we're joyful, we can bring that to the Lord. But if there is an aspect of our emotions that we can't bring to God, that's actually an area for growth. Every single aspect of our lives can be brought to Him. And so if you say, I could never pray this, maybe that's an opportunity for you to bring to the Lord and say, God, I want to be able to pray a prayer like this. I want to be able to bring my sadness, my sorrow, my distress to you. And if you can't pray this prayer, then maybe ask yourself this question, who needs to pray this prayer this morning? Because you might not be in the place where this feels like your prayer, but I guarantee that someone here this morning will feel like that. That someone will feel distant from God. That someone will feel like they're crying out to God and don't hear His voice. That someone will feel laid down by stress, by burden, by trauma, by grief. So would you pray that prayer with them? Would you seek for who needs this prayer, this lament, this sadness brought to God? Because I guarantee that someone will. And in the psalm, what we see is that there are two situations playing out in David, the author's life. 
that are causing him this grief. Firstly, he has enemies surrounding him. It says, I am a worm and not human, scorned by others and despised by the people. All who see me mock at me. They make mouths at me. They shake their heads. Commit your cause to the Lord. Let him deliver you. Let him rescue the one in whom he delights. They're mocking him. His enemies are at his face. And his body is breaking down. The bulls encircle me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It's melted within my chest. My mouth is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death for dogs are all around me. A company of evildoers encircle me. My hand and feet have shriveled. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothing among themselves, and for my clothing they cast lots. David's enemies have encircled him, and his body is breaking down. He's lost heart. He can count his bones. He's wasting away. So when grief comes to you, what do you do? When you feel sad, when you feel sorrow, when you feel depressed, what do you do? One of the things that I've had to do is reflect upon the way that I was taught to process my pain by my parents. See, my mum grew up in Namurka, which is near Shepparton, right? She's a country girl. And the way that she was taught by her mother and her grandmother and all the way down is that you don't ever tell anyone how you're feeling ever, particularly if you're in pain. So my mum is incredibly stoic, right? She's, there's been many times that she's been in hospital and not told us because she didn't think to, to tell anyone about how she was going. My dad, on the other hand, is not like that at all, right? My dad is the kind of person that colds feel like flus, flus feel like the end of the world, and anything worse than that is basically like prepare the funeral, right? It's ready to go, And my dad isn't the kind of person to internalize it like my mum. No, he lets every single person around him know exactly what's going on, right? So don't worry, if my dad has COVID, you would definitely find out, right? He'd let you know. The thing is that David doesn't really do either of those two things. He doesn't internalize his pain and he doesn't necessarily complain to everyone around him. What he does is that he brings it to God and then he starts remembering. He starts remembering what God is like and remembering what God has done. So in verses 3 to 5 it says this. So he starts out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then two lines later, Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our ancestors trusted, they trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. Yet it was, uh, and then again onwards. So he just had that and then he's complained about his enemies to God and says, Yet it was you who took me from the womb, you who kept me safe on my mother's breast. On you I was cast from my birth, and since my mother bore me, you have been my God." What David does is bring all of his pain, all of his sorrow, all of his sadness to God. And then he starts remembering. You see, I would suggest that the number one most common command in the Old Testament is remember. 
Remember what the Lord has done. Remember how God has acted to your forefathers. Remember what God has done to your ancestors. Remember what God has done in Egypt. Remember what God has done in Canaan. Remember, 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 because it's so easy to forget who God is. It's so easy to forget how God has treated us. And so they keep remembering and remembering what God has done because it shapes us. And in fact, this wasn't just a private song that would be sung by David in his room as he mopes and is sad. This is a song of Israel. This is a song that everyone would sing, that everyone was called to remember. Like the, literally the inscription at the top of Psalm 22 is to the leader, as in to the leader of worship. This was a psalm that says, hey, Rashan, we're going to play this one on Sunday. That's what we're going to do. And I think it's for a couple of reasons, not only because it was meant to be communal, but they're also meant to help each other remember. I don't know if you've ever been in a circumstance where you were struggling to remember the goodness of God. I remember, I've shared this before, about the, the weeks after Sarah was diagnosed with cancer. And I was going to church and feeling like I, I just didn't have anything. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to pray. I didn't know. I, it was just, I was going because I knew it was the right thing to do. And I distinctly remember going to church and it felt like the church was singing to me. The church was singing to me to remind me who God was because I couldn't bring it to mind and I didn't have enough strength or energy or hope or whatever it was, but they did and so they helped me remember who God was in that moment. That's why it's so important to lament in community, not just solo, not just on our own, but together. And one of the most incredible things about this psalm that starts off by saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, is that the end is totally exploding in thanksgiving and praise. Just, just read this. David says, he starts out, my God, you're so far from me. I cry to you, can't, I can't hear you. He says, I will tell of your name to my brothers and sisters. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him. Stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. For he did not despise or abhor the affliction of the afflicted. He did not hide his face from me, but heard me when I cried to him. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will pay before those who fear him. The poor shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nation shall worship before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. To him indeed shall all who sleep in the earth bow down before him, shall bow at all who go down to the dust, and I shall live for him. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord and proclaim his deliverance to a people yet unborn, saying that he has done it. It's almost over the top. You would expect this in Psalm 23 or Psalm 103. It's this pure explosion of thanksgiving to God. And what seems to have happened is that David has come to the Lord and as he's given his pain and given his sorrow to God and as he's remembered what God is like, he's unburdened himself. He's not carrying his pain anymore. 
He's handed it to God, and he trusts him. Now, I get it. Christians are often accused of being happy clappers, right? That we come to church and we sing happy songs that don't really deal with the reality of life, and then we go home and deal with actually what's going on. That is not what's going on here. David has looked his suffering square in the face and said, I see all of this. I see all of what I'm facing. I know what I'm going through. I know how I feel. And yet, God, I trust you still. God, I trust you in the pain of the depths of my suffering. I don't trust you just with the peaks of my life, but the valleys. You have all of me, and I trust you. This is not an easy unburdening. This is tense. It's intentional. He looks squarely at the suffering in the face and says, I still trust Jesus. I still trust God. And I think one of the reasons that we can do that is because this psalm is so clearly about Jesus. We can see that Jesus suffered and Jesus knows what it is to be sad and Jesus knows what it is to lament and so we can trust him. This is not a God who is distant who is unaware of the suffering we experience. This is a God who entered our world and died on the cross so we can know that he knows what it's like to be us. We can trust him. I was once talking to a psychologist and and one of the things they talked about was how helpful it was to write things down when there's so much going on in your head. Right? That do you ever have those moments where you're just sitting at bed at night and you're just thinking about all the things that have happened in your day and you can't get to sleep? And they said, just write stuff down. Like it, it really helps. That's what David has done. He's taken all of the grief, all of the sadness floating around in his head and taken it out and poured it out upon God and said, you are getting all of my emotion. You're getting all of what I feel. And I'm going to remember and I'm going to trust you in the midst of that. So let me encourage you here this morning. There is not an inch of your emotional life that God does not know about. And so there is not an inch of your emotional life, one little skerrick that you need to be afraid of bringing to God. He knows what it is to be sad. He knows what it is to be joyful. He knows what it is to be anxious or angry or whatever you feel. So come to him unburden yourself particularly this week i know that there are many people mourning sad about what has happened this week come to jesus trust him look suffering and grief and trauma squarely in the face and say i know what all of this is and yet i trust you still because the promise of jesus is this All who are weary and heavy laden, come to me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I have rest for your soul. You can trust Jesus. He is good, he is kind, he is merciful. He knows what it is to suffer. He knows what it is to be sad. So come to him with all of yourself. Don't hold anything back. Let me encourage you this week, find a spot or a space just to sit with God and share how you're really going. Not what your prayer life 
you think your prayer life should be like, but what you're actually experiencing. Just go, I trust you. Here it is.